Hi and welcome to the next uh, episode of the Cisco Technology Podcast. Uh, I'm Justin Woolen and you can contact the podcast uh, via email at justin.woolen at cisco.com. That's two O's and one L. Or uh, via Twitter at, at Justin Woolen. So, um, we're joined by some old friends today. We've got Mark Jackson. Hello. And we've got Ollie, Ollie Wong. Hello. So, uh, the last podcast I did with these two gentlemen, we talked about network as a sensor, which is obviously talking about security and how the network can uh, understand the... Uh, the different kinds of data flowing across it and understand the patterns and that and use that data to help enforce security policy. So you was listening. I was listening. <laughs> I was listening. That was a real moment there of trying to remember what we talked about. Uh, and today we're going to carry that conversation on and talk about network as an enforcer. Now, that is a marketing name. I know I pick myself up when we start using different acronyms and things like that. So hopefully by the end of this podcast, uh, the listeners will be able to understand what Cisco's doing around enhancing security of the network and in partnership with the network as a census podcast that we've, we've and information we talked about previously as well so mark ollie what are we going to talk about today in the sense of what's going on that's driving the need for in, in further enhanced security on the network should be no surprise to anybody that the the, the nature of uh, networks is, is changing dramatically we've got more and more devices connecting to the network this is being driven by digital transformation. This is being driven by the Internet of Things. And frankly, we're, we're having serious difficulties now enforcing access policies on networks. So, you mean, the one thing that you and I, I talk about, and, and you mean, you know, I'm, I'm sort of more aligned to sort of uh, talking to public sector customers at the moment, is we look at students, we look at when they carry multiple devices. You mean, everybody, it doesn't really matter where everyone's, what part of the, even even into enterprise customers, commercial customers, mm-hmm. small businesses, everybody's walking around with multiple devices. Yep. And so, you mean, I've got, I mean, I've got a smartphone here, I've got mm-hmm. a, a, a tablet at home, I've got, we've all got laptops. Mm-hmm. So, that is really, so every time you're bringing another device in it, is that making it, is it making it harder by the same factor of devices? It's definitely making it uh, much, much harder. You know, the more devices there are, the more access control logic you need to put in in, in, in the networks to make sure that things are kept secure and segmented. Um, more importantly, these, these devices now all move with us. So in the past, devices were, were wired into networks. They were wired in day one. They never moved. Now we have the problem of mobile devices, wireless networks, and devices and people moving around rapidly between floors, between buildings, between locations. Yeah. We have virtual machines in the data center moving mm-hmm. using VMware vMotion. All of a sudden, well, a you're virtual machine. Data center in me now. I'll get confused. <laughs> a virtual a virtual machine can be there one day. It can then be vMotion, or it can be moved in production to another. And, place. I'm glad, yeah, you glad you explained what vMotion was, as in it, it, it stuff moves. Stuff moves. I think it's all the speech for itself, but just moves. in case, I'm just I, trying to keep. I think thing. that's a good summary point. There's lots more stuff, and it moves, and, and it, it moves around. Yeah. That, Whether it's physical or virtually, it's moving around. It's moving around. But, but the one thing that is, do we? But does it matter? Does does it matter that we? You mean that we're moving around? Does it matter that I could be working from the? You mean from one Cisco office and go to another Cisco office? Does it? Does it need? Can't we just have a big open network that everyone just connects to? Well, you you could, but but then how do you enforce any type of access control? I mean, the you know one of the one of the core security tenants that that Ollie and I. Have well, you know, often talk to customers about is principal elite privilege. You know, it's it's one of these things that when you learn about infosec 
subjects, it's, it's kind of the, the basis of all InfoSec. You know, you want to make sure that, that employees get access to the information they need and no more. You know, you don't want to open up the crown jewels and just allow on trust to determine how that individual is going to access that data. You want to sort of put some controls and barriers in. You know, you don't want them to be able to access everything. So that principle of least privilege is a really important... So I, I just like to go away and, and... I mean, I've never heard of that principle of least privilege before. And uh, you mean, there you go. I've need to know. Need, need to know principle. It's, it's the same kind of concept. But the thing is, I always... And we, when we've talked about in other podcasts, we've talked about um, uh, mobility and things like that. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think... And we all compare it to home. And I go, well, home... I have my network, I have the password, the kids know the password, everyone gets on, mm-hmm. and I've got no level of control. But if I think of it from my house security, I'm going, well, I've got a front door and lock it. Mm-hmm. I ch- I, before I open that door, I, or before I let anyone in, I make sure I have an understanding of why I'm letting them in. You do, and actually, on the, it's an interesting point on the home network, because there's actually more and more discussion and debate now about segmenting home networks. Because as more and more devices come onto the home network, you know, I can speak for myself. You know, I've got, you know, my Sonos, my Nest, my TV, you know, everything is connected. There are other, yeah. other media Other, other media players are available. But um, I've got the same one. <laughs> yeah, and they're very good. But uh, the point is, is actually, should they all be on the same flat network? And, and importantly, with something like your Nest... Yeah. That's connecting to someone else's Correct. network entirely, yeah. where you have no, no visibility or Absolutely. control of yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, now you're scaring me. Now. So, so actually, wouldn't you know? Wouldn't it make sense to actually begin to say, well, my Nest only should be able to talk out to Nest.com, and and it probably shouldn't be doing any sort of lateral conversations between it and my TV or my. But we don't know. Well, and that's my point. But on a flat network, we don't. A, we don't know unless we've got network as a sensor deployed. There, nice there you go. Um, okay. And secondly, we've got no control points. Because we're just leaving it nice and flat and open. So even if we did know, we've got no control over it. So there is there is a need for it. You know, I, yes. I, I, I was playing the villain there. And, and so how do we how do we do it today then? So so how do we enforce this this privilege of of, of principle? Sorry, principle of, of least privilege on, on access to the network. I mean, how do we do that now? Really, really, really simple. Any CCNA student will tell you that it's done with access lists, firewall rules. We can segment things by VLAN. So if we want to stop two separate networks talking to each other, put them in separate VLANs, and then you control what traffic can talk between those two VLANs. By default, two VLANs cannot talk to each other. Mm-hmm. But then so that's provide... down, down to routing then, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It provides yeah. really, really simple simple mechanisms for, for, for stopping things being able to talk but to each about, other. But what about where does... I mean, the one thing that we bump into a lot, and, and, and I'm sure not everyone has deployed, is, is what we call .1x. Mm-hmm. So the appeal of authenticating people as they come mm-hmm. onto yep. the network, and is that something that is still? So, so eight hundred two dot one X provides you with a mechanism to authenticate a user or a device to join a network. That's just the from from going from no access at all to yes, I'm allowed on the network. Mm-hmm. What that that doesn't then give you beyond that is once once I'm on the network, what do I have access to? Right. So .1x solves that first problem of making sure that only an authenticated user or endpoint is on the network. But then after that, we still have to control what that user or endpoint is able to do once it gets so on So that the just allows you to say, yes, I, I know who you are. Correct. You're on the network, but you've got carte blanche access. It's, it's authentication. Yeah. Uh, you know, and again, this okay. is the classic security tenant. You know, AAA, authentication, authorization, accounting. That's the authentication beat. You know, that's yeah. all that's really proving is that you're an authentic user. It doesn't provide okay. any authorization. Okay. But you know, picking up on Ollie's point about how people are doing this today, I think it's important to say that actually it's really hard to do today because a lot of the mechanisms 
you know, on a very small network, putting up a couple of access control list entries on a switch is, is relatively trivial. Scaling that to, I don't know, 500 switches over a large campus with, mm-hmm. a mul- you know, with lots of different um, you know, kind of wiring closets and so on and so forth, that's hard. That's hard to maintain. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I had customers in the past who, who did want to enforce that very strict principle of least privilege in their, in their campus environments, and they employed you know, something like 10 people full-time just to manage the access control list on those switches because, of course, the network was still dynamic. People still moved and moved around the building and, and services moved and so mm. on and so forth. So they, the amount of effort that went into maintaining those ACLs um, was huge, which also means a lot of people don't do it. Yeah, and so, and, it's, it's, so it's, go on, sorry. Yeah, and, and, it, and it becomes um, really, really, really operationally challenging to do. You know, I've, all of us have logged onto a switch or a firewall at some point and spat out the configuration, and it runs into hundreds, if not thousands, of lines mm-hmm. of, of access control. I, I remember entries. doing my, my uh, CCNA and my CC, uh, CCDP exams, and, mm-hmm. and, and that was the bit when you do the practical bit of going and doing the ACLs why is why will the, this packet not for, try, go from here to there yeah. and you're like oh no yeah. and you're trying to remember how to do it so so for a start managing this at scale when when it is a large network with maybe 50 or 100 or 500 switches once you make a change on one you have to make a corresponding change on yeah. all the other devices so the bigger the network scales the bigger the problem exponentially scales yeah. Yeah. Um, second of all, it's it's just horribly operationally complex. You know, how easy is it to make a mistake in one access control entry, which either has the uh, the effect of bringing down the network or causing a connectivity issue, or one would argue worse, actually causing a security hole. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. It sounds so. You mean this is. This has been principle has been around for a long time about I mean let's identifying people and enforcing some sort of policy onto the, or security onto the network as, as letting people the right people on, and you've said it's how complicated. Has there been any? I mean, it's, this is not like happened overnight. This has been going on for a long time, and is it just is it just been the principle of? It's been really, really difficult. Nobody's really found a solution, and and that's where we are now. Yeah. Or have there been solutions out there? Are there other things out there that make it easier? You mean I? I no, I'm trying to trying to recall back to the dim and distant past. I think there were probably attempts at solutions. I'm trying to think back to my many years in, in Cisco to think of whether we've attempted to develop something in the past where things were more dynamic. I suppose dot one X. Dot one X and IBNS. And, uh, identity-based networking oh, solutions. Thank you so, very much. You know, I mean, were, you can explain what that identity-based networks... I'll, since Ollie mentioned the acronym, he can cover it. But but the point was is you were able to use the identity to do things like dynamic authorization. So you could apply a virtual LAN dynamically to... Um, a user right okay so you could say actually because you've logged in and you are this user you would put that particular user in a, in a VLAN but you're still very tied but you're still tied to you're still in that VLAN Correct. and you can talk to everything in that VLAN and, and, yes. and the access control is still determined by IP address Correct. so yes. so yes I've, I've now I've now or I'm now trying to authorise or enforce a policy based on yeah. a user identity rather than just a straight IP address. Yeah. Okay. But my mechanisms for doing the enforcement are still IP-based. Yeah. So I'm still fundamentally great. tied to the network topology. It's it, it, it doesn't really bring us too too, yeah. too further forward than from, from no. where we were before. You've still got ACLs to manage with IP addresses in them scattered around the so, network. So in principle, isn't it's, it's, it's a real pain. Yeah, and, and, and it's become more so as... I and suppose over the last few years, as we've seen the number of devices, the, yeah. the, the mobility uh, of, of staff increasing, yeah. it's, it's, I suppose that's all compounded the problem as well over the last few years. Okay. Um, 
so you mean that that, that gets us to so what's the answer and and so what how do we how do we solve so what would be the utopia of the way of solving this environment the, the the utopia is is to try and um, enforce access based on role. That that would be if if we have a simple scalable mechanism to be able to enforce network access based on role, then we would be loads further forward. Ideally, that mechanism needs to be completely divorced from our our, our topology and and our IP addressing structure. So just, so so what you're, just so I can I, I get what you're saying is that. Doesn't your access is depending on on the person and what they're doing mm-hmm. and where they are, yes. the device, and then what the yes. device they're mm-hmm. using, yep. information they're trying to get access to, and then yep. at that instantaneous moment, some magic happens and goes. I am now going to lock you down so you can only access the things that that you need to have access to in your role that you're based in. on some predefined policy. Yeah, yeah, yep. right. Okay, so it, 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 does that exist? I mean, is that something that? Do we have nowadays? It would just be really funny if we said no, it doesn't exist. No, then, you know, we have any <laughs> I think but we have them. I, I think we have. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we definitely have. So the, the, the way the way that we uh, can start to do this is with identity services engine. When you use identity services engine in a network, we start to have that contextual awareness. But what you mean? I, I don't want to let you go too wandering off, and because you've done like, identity services, but, but what what is it? Identity Services Engine is our authentication, authorization, and accounting solution. It also is a yeah, but isn't that ACS though, or Access Control System? No, no. server. Yeah, well, a- a- ACS does. ACS does that did, the, did do AAA, yeah, doesn't it? A- right. ACS certainly does. Does does AAA. Um, identity Services Engine takes it one step further because we start to get more contextual richness um, into uh, into the authentication of endpoints. Okay. So. ACS would authenticate you based on your username or based on a device certificate. And we would have to determine role from that. In this world of one person having many, many devices or many, many devices connecting to the network um, that all look kind of the same, we still need a way of defining what that device role is. So we need to have a bit more information about that device what it is, what it's trying to do, what it looks like on the network to determine mm-hmm. what that device role is. Okay, and that's what this with this identity. That's, that's the identity. And, and, it, and how does it gather that? It, how does it capture that information? So some of it is is still using uh, username or device certificate in exactly the same way it was done in ACS. Um, from Identity Service Engine, we can profile devices, so we can look at the initial traffic that it sends onto the network and try and determine what device type it is based on looking at those. So it's the network points. itself. So it's, it's the network is, I've got somebody coming onto the network, whether it's wired wireless mm-hmm. or, or maybe it could be from a VPN remote access yeah. or whatever. And that network will then pass this information to mm-hmm. this identity services engine to make a decision. And won't do anything until this identity yep. services engine, yep. or ISE, mm-hmm. uh, I'll abbreviate because it's taking too long to say, will come back and tell the network device yeah. something yeah. or tell it, it what to do. It can, with a, with a reasonably high degree of confidence, discern whether or not you are an Apple iPhone or an HP JetDirect print server or an IP camera or a mm-hmm. whatever else. You know, once With that information, we can now make a much more intelligent decision about what role that endpoint performs or is trying to perform on the, on the network. And therefore, we've, we've got a lot more information to, to, to build policy around. 
Great. Where does the policy come from? So how do you do you just go to IAC and, and type in a policy or do you is it, it how do you get to that policy? Because that's the thing is going is like we've got we've got three people in this room now and we all do different roles mm-hmm. within Cisco. Mm-hmm. And so how does the people, the administrator, the network administrator or the security policy people mm-hmm. work out well, I think I think who part, has access to what. I think part of that is has got to stem back into the business requirement. You know that that's the important piece that you know that, that isn't a technology decision. The technology is there to enforce the policy decided by the business. Yeah. So, you know, when you start to look at the functional roles that people perform or devices perform, you know, I mean, Ollie mentioned things like Jet Direct printers. You know, there's obviously no person there, but you know, a Jet Direct printer is going to do certain things mm. you know there's certain policy you a minimum policy that you want it to be able to be able to fulfill or a minimum capability yeah but from a functional role perspective and, and you could be very broad and say hr people talk to hr services finance people talk to finance so, services. so there needs to be a, a that the level business of logic understanding so going yes. back to you the, the previous podcast um that we've done is people policy and process yeah. isn't it so yeah so you could you, you as a business or as a mm-hmm. as an it function of the business mm-hmm. you create a policy mm-hmm. and that policy then is that's what is then put into ISE into the into yeah, identity yeah. services to, yeah. to, to that becomes your thing so it's not just something you go yeah. You just type in. You have to create a security yeah, yeah. policy. Yeah, the policy has to come from somewhere. And I think where where you can sort of run into challenge with with some of this is that it, it, it's too much IT led. And actually, some of that some of that policy needs to be done from from the, from yeah. the business requirement piece. So it's important to get that piece ready before you then start to look at planning in yeah. things like identity. Services. You don't just go and buy the technology and think it's going to solve work. No, of course no, 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 absolutely okay. not. No. But, but the vast majority of organisations will already have done the thinking around this. Mm. And, and, and try to try to implement it using using traditional mechanisms, mm-hmm. or you know they they will still have a fairly good idea, but realise that there's no practical way of implementing it um, until now. So 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 they've, they've they've got a lot of that thinking. So already. it's already been done. It's just been really hard to implement it in force. Yeah, and this just gives them some of those mechanisms. Ah, oh, right, okay. And, and and some of it, of course, will will be dictated to organisations by things like regulatory compliance. Yes. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay, so we've got this, we've now got, seems to be an answer to the problem of how do we enforce principle of least privilege. Mm-hmm. Again, that's the third time I've used it. <laughs> I've never heard of, heard, of, heard of it before. Um, and, and that's by using this identity services engine to work out who you are, what device you're on, where you're coming in from, what you're trying to get access to, mm-hmm. and then we'll apply that policy to you. Yeah, and the, and the missing piece of the puzzle... Um, I suppose that we haven't really talked about yet is how do we get from that identification of functional role for the device or the user um, or and the user um, and translate that into something that we can then um, I suppose operate or, or, or action if you like. So you know, Ollie logs into the network with his Windows laptop. We identify him using Identity Services Engine as a Windows laptop running this service pack. What next? Yeah, and that's the bit that the security group tagging technology or SGT brings to the party because what we do with the group tagging um, is essentially allocate a tag to a functional role and use that tag to do the enforcement of policy. Right, okay. So, to to run through this For those listening to the podcast, I'm, I'm pulling blank yeah, faces yeah, 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 there's lots of blank I'm, faces. I'm looking confused, so yeah. there you go. So go on, Ollie, so, help so, me out. So, so let's, let's, let's walk this through again. I, I joined the network. 
um, I authenticate onto the network. So I pass some credential onto the network that proves that I am who I am. Identity Services Engine may be looking and doing some profiling to, to decide what's, what type of device I'm in. Based on our policy, we will then have defined what that role is. I will then, from Identity Services Engine, at the end of the authorization policy, so I've decided, yes, I, uh, I'm on that device, I'm an authenticated user, I'm performing that role, I now assign a tag to that endpoint. Yeah. So that tag gets communicated back to wherever I'm plugging into the network, either plugging in so the, or... So the network the... device then, so I'm trying to go back to the process of you connect to the network. Mm-hmm. The network goes and asks, passes information that is mm-hmm. gathered from you connected yep. to the network to the identity services engine. The mm-hmm. identity service then goes, yes, Ollie is a valid user on a valid device mm-hmm. uh, yep. or um, and this, that and the other. Yep. Here's the tag mm-hmm. based yes. on its functional And role. the network then applies that tag to your information Correct. as it flows around yeah. the network. network. Yeah. So, so now every single packet of or frame that I, that I send onto the network will get tagged. So now what do we do with these tags? Now what I can do is if I'm tagging all traffic at source, so every single endpoint that, it, that, that joins the network receives a tag... I can now decide whether or not I'm allowed to access a particular resource simply by examining the tags. So I don't have to go through the whole palaver of who are you, this, nope. that, and the other. That bit's already That's been already done. done. So, so all I'm doing is, is so I'm, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say this now, but we all have badges at Cisco, and, and that tag is, is my badge. Mm-hmm. But it's a, very, it's a dynamic badge, and it will be changed on all those factors that we talked about. And it's, but, that is in, and, but that's used to... Enforce. So as my information flows to the network, that tag is being checked. So as if I walk around a building, I have to use my badge mm-hmm. to get me to into areas or to not let me into areas. Yep. No, but, well, but, it's not. But, yeah, but, but the point is, is that the, the the important point about that tag is that, that encapsulate all the decision making that has been made by IC in terms of the role that that device fulfills. Yeah. So now, from a, an enforcement perspective, and this is where the network as an enforcer piece, I suppose. As a, as, a, as a piece of terminology comes in, is I can now say tag 20 can talk to resources that also have tag 20, just yeah. using you know numerical values as those tag values. And that's as complicated as my access control list now has to be. I don't have to worry about what IP address you're coming in on. I don't have to worry about the IP addresses of the resources so, you're trying so to So I just to. treat all tag 20s the same. Correct. Yeah. All tag 20s can access yeah. tag 20 assigned as a information resources. Yeah, as a so if I'm in, you mentioned HR earlier yeah. on, all HR people could be, will be tagged as 20 yeah. um, and they will have access to... And all the resources the they need to use for their role, enforcing their principle of least yeah. privilege, will also be tagged with that same tag or probably be a different tag, maybe 21, just to use a, a yeah. different number. Um, and we put simple access... Uh, and we say policy. that tag 20s can talk to tag 21. Correct. That's all, that's all we're saying. So we don't have to worry about what IP address you are, whether you're coming in on this building one day and that building another and therefore have a different IP address because you'll still be given tag 20 as an employee. When I'm using... So, for example, if, if I'm using my an authorized, so if I'm using my work laptop yeah, yeah. and I'm in a work location, yeah. I'll get tag 20. Correct. However, I could come in a work location and come on with my own device. Correct. You might get a different tag. I'll get a different tag. So, yeah. I can, yeah. so that would be a, a tag 
50, the tag 50 would be for people with personal devices yeah. are allowed on the network, but they're only allowed to access maybe the intranet yeah. and the internet. Correct. We might limit the policy. And again, that's the whole point of making that policy decision very dynamically based upon all that, the, the who, what, when, where, and how yeah. you know, martini effect. The martini, yeah, anytime, yeah. place, anywhere. Absolutely. Um, for those so, old enough to remember that. Thank you. I'd be the only one in the room then. Um, it just sounds, though, that tagging, it just made it really, really easy. Instead of it going... IP address range, mm-hmm. what all these resources I need to have, and the IP addresses or the DNS names of all the different servers. Yeah. I just go okay. tag, 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 okay. and I go right. My HR server is this part of this tag. Yeah. My fi- my finance server is or, or, or application is this tag, mm-hmm. and you could so it just makes sense. It just it's just really simplified, isn't it? Yeah, it takes, a lot of the pain away. It, takes it, it takes all of the pain away. Mm-hmm. Um, if uh, I'll, I'll give another analogy for it. Um, if, if as a layperson you needed to uh, audit or examine what an organisation's access control policy was, you would go to, you wouldn't, you'd be pointed at the command line of all the switches and all the firewalls mm-hmm. and you'd spit out the configuration mm-hmm. and you'd read the access control lists that were programmed across the network. Now, if you're not a network engineer, you would have not a hope in hell of understanding exactly what's going on mm-hmm. in that. Just, just no hope at all. Even some network engineers, when it gets really, really complex, <laughs> would struggle to decipher. You know, they'd, they'd sit for hours and hours upon hours actually trying to work out what was going on. If we start to determine our policy based on source and destination tag, anybody can understand that. It's really simple. This group of tagged assets, HR users can talk to this group of tagged assets. Um, HR servers. You know, it, it, is, it is anybody really can understand that, that that policy, and and we can um, we can effectively write up that policy in what looks very much like an Excel spreadsheet with sources down the vertical, destinations along the horizontal, match the match the particular cell and, and put a permit or deny or a filter in any of those boxes, and all of a sudden our organisational access policy that was thousands of lines of ACLs across hundreds of devices, now becomes an Excel spreadsheet in the centre. Really, really simple. Wow. Just point out, it's not literally an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. It, it looks and feels like looks an Excel spreadsheet like. inside the identity yeah. services engine, oh, okay. uh, just to avoid any potential oh, okay. confusion. So we've, we've talked, up, this is absolutely great. So we've taken away the complexity of, and, and of all these multiple devices, both... Um, uh, in, uh, I was going to say human and non-human, but mm-hmm. to say like the, the devices that would, are, are used mm-hmm. and run by by people, mm-hmm. uh, stuff that sits on the network, like printers, cameras, things like that, yep. can all connect to the network now, and there'd be a, a simple and easy policy, yep. a way of of identifying them, mm-hmm. putting them into the right policy, and then enforcing that policy with tags. Yeah. So what we've talked about one thing that we sounds like is definitely needed, and that's that identity services engine. Mm-hmm. What what are the, how else? What are the products or what are the bits of tin out there uh, are needed to make this work as so a solution the, the the tagging bits can be done by pretty much every Cisco product so I, I'm going to hold you up on that is it every single Cisco product pretty much our, our entire switching portfolio supports tagging our entire wireless portfolio supports tagging right, okay. our um, ASA firewall for VPN termination supports tagging our routers support tagging so I'm going to be slightly a bit into the weeds here so somebody with a Catalyst 2000 series switch can do this they can do the tagging bit 
So, so the actual stamping and, and identification of a tag can happen on any Cisco product. Okay. The second bit that you need to think about is actually enforcing an access rule based on the tags. Mm-hmm. That is actually a smaller subset of Cisco devices. So all of our Layer 3 capable Catalyst switches can do enforcement based on tag. That's Catalyst 3560, 3750. So the Catalyst 3K ranges. Catalyst 3K ranges, Cat 4K, Cat 6K, uh, Nexus 7K and 5K. These can all do an access list based on tag. Okay. The way that that works, if any of these devices have got a security group tagged uh, endpoint connected to it, it will contact Identity Services Engine and it will download the appropriate... Uh, access control logic automatically so it's not even all I have to do on identity services engine is maintain the policy what can talk to what when you have this all set up and all working correctly then as soon as one of these devices learns about a new security group it will contact identity service engine and grab the policy automatically so we don't have to manually configure access control lists anywhere in the network it can all happen automatically it's wonderful automatically so what are the kind of the use cases? So where, where is this really valuable? Are we, are we just creating something for the sake of it? Or can we give some examples of where this has been really, really helpful? I've got some in mind, but you I mean... So any organisation that's struggling with, a, with an access control challenge, um, really, that, that's, that, that's the starting point. And into that bucket, I would pretty much lump everybody. <laughs> every, every single organisation has, has an access control challenge. They, they may they may find that it's um, acceptable the, the way that they're currently implementing. You know, maybe it may be a fairly small organisation. It's not that resource intensive to maintain access control lists and all the rest of it. In which case, you know, this this probably doesn't have a whole lot of benefit. But there are organisations there. You know, the horror stories of a team of ten just managing access control lists across switches. I would say. Anybody is having that that yeah. type of challenge. And who's got that? Yes. Lots of resource trying to manage and yeah. run this. Can I actually think? And, and I think I think there's there's also I mean you know like we were talking about this earlier and there's a few specifics in in your world, but I know in public sector there's an awful lot of focus of multi-tenant buildings. Yeah, there's a lot the, of coming together of different departments, yeah. creating civic hubs where you might find central government departments and local authorities maybe sharing build, buildings. Well. That is the absolute perfect use case because what better way to be able to segment those environments but use the common infrastructure yeah. than using something like that? We've got ex- experience of, of health and social care coming and together. So local authorities and health authorities yep, coming yep. together. Both two very different organizations mm, yep. but need to work together absolutely. and have that ability to have multi tenancy. Not multi tenancy, but. but, but yeah, I mean, the, the the problem is, is in the past, what I've seen is is three cables on the back of a desk. You know, you sit down and you, you know, if you're in the healthcare yeah. user, you pick up the green cable, and if you're, uh, you know, you're stretching worker, a VRF all the way down to a desktop. Yeah, you're you? pulling yeah. a VLAN. But what's a what? VRF? Virtual. <laughs> go on. Virtual router forward end. Correct. There, there you go. go. There you go. Yay. Um, but Thank but you're, you, right. Ollie. you're right. That, <laughs> you're right. You're you're effectively pulling. And and what's to stop the person plugging into the wrong cable and. Yeah. You know, you're taking all of that pain away. You're providing a very robust security perimeter. Yeah. The, the other way, uh, the other thing, and, and we didn't actually get the particular phrase in, but is a lot of attacks, uh, if you think about this from a, an attack perspective and what an attacker's view of a network might be, um, a lot of attackers will talk about lateral movement. Now, you're going to call me out on what that means, but essentially it means once I've breached your perimeter and I've found my first foothold on the inside of your network, because network segmentation is really hard, 
I can move laterally across oh, the Oh, basically means once I'm through, it's really like getting into your house. Once I'm through your front door, I've got Does access go to every anywhere. single room. Correct. And that's exactly what happens on the network. So there are sort of the, the business use case angles that we've talked about, but I think there's also that it's just good security practice because, you know, we know people will get breached. You know, we all have to accept that at some point the networks but, will get breached. It allows that containment it's of it. Absolutely, it's containment of the breach. So um, in principle, if, if, if someone gets attacked and starts doing bad things, they'll only ever be able to access... The, yeah, absolutely. The, the, that the, segment. The, that of, segment of the network or whatever's enforcing that policy. And then which it, does get us onto a really interesting capability that falls out the back of uh, network as an enforcer called rapid threat containment, which I'll let Ollie describe. Thank you very much. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the, the concept behind rapid threat containment... Um, Whenever organisations um, experience a breach or they have uh, a, a malware infection within the network, the first thing that the security team has to be able to do is to quarantine that endpoint and get it off the network as quickly as possible. And at the moment, in a lot of organisations, this is done completely manually. So it can be as simple as find out whose laptop it is has got the virus on it phone that person and tell them to unplug from the network right mm-hmm. immediately now. I mean, that really is as sophisticated as incident response is for some organisations. Um, even if if you're slightly more sophisticated, then you might discover which switch port or, mm-hmm. or wireless SSID it's connected to and, and, and shut down from there. So, you know, the, the, the network administrators effectively can shut them off. But that is extremely time and resource intensive and also slow and also oh, very yeah, very yeah. slow you yeah. know it, it can take yeah. hours days mm-hmm. um, and, and in the case of you know phoning up a user and telling them to disconnect the, the immediate response that will go back to the security team will be well I'm busy I can't you know I'll do it at the end of the day or I'll do it at yeah. 4 o'clock at which point damage is being done mm-hmm. as the seconds tick past so we need a, a, a way of, of containing threats a lot more rapidly and this this concept of, of, of tagging enables us to be able to contain threats very very rapidly because now all I need to do in order to contain the threat is simply to change the tag that we assigned mm-hmm. so all of a sudden you know from your I'm an HR user I've been given tag 20 now all of a sudden I can just replace the tag I can say well now you're tag number 80 which is or tag number six six six. You are you are mark of the devil, and you need to be contained. And we've already got a predefined policy. So you automatically policy. then you're just you're going to get all the network devices going. I don't. Well, what's yeah. my thing for tag for that tag? Yeah, your yeah, policy is, is predefined. Is, is kicking and that, off. And that's so all you'd have to do. So all you'd have to do then is in your policy you go right. This is the tag that I do for automatic quarantine, quarantine yep, yep. and it's the quarantine tag yep. so it's Correct. not something I have to quickly go oh I'm going to yep. create a tag you just have anything. a quarantine tag yep. and, and we've made this really easy with, with an API on identity servicing engine so an application programmable interface that allows other security products to tell identity services engine to perform a quarantine action mm-hmm. so this could be our firepower system it can be Lancope, it can be... Uh, so where their network is the sensor stuff. So, so in principle, yeah. you could, where we talked about bad behaviour, the device could do bad behaviour, the, the, the um, Lancope product... Stealth Watch. Stealth Watch, thank yeah. you very much. I've forgotten since As a response it. action, it could trigger a quarantine of the identified device. So this device needs to be quarantined because yep. of the nature of its actions, tells ISE via the API, the, API then, uh, the ISE then switches the tag. Switches the tag, does it automatically. 
saves whole automatically saves a whole ton of money saves a whole ton of time it sounds like we we've we've talked some great stuff here today and we talked about the challenges around multi-users multiple devices multiple things coming onto the network people working in different ways different locations the challenges and the hard work Mm -hmm. and the pain of trying to manage uh, uh, the the that principle of least privilege Mm -hmm. and or the right role for the right access to get to yep. people to do their job has been really difficult with access control lists and, and, and trying to use dot one X and it's so hard people don't even do it or they do it and they have huge amounts of resources aligned to it and now with the ability of, of policy enforcement with the ISE which, which comes from your business piece mm-hmm. you mean people policy and process but the way you force your policy is, is via this identity services engine the ability to tag and the integration with the network on, mm-hmm. on the Catalyst 3K products as well and, and, and others are available, um, and then the ability to do that that rapid threat containment, which is something that I, I mean, I'd forgotten to talk about on, on, on this podcast. So I'm really glad you brought that up as well. And how the use cases of it with multi-tenanted offices, with you mean the ability of being able to move virtual machines and devices around. In summary, so what we've looked at is the multiple changing of of, of people working, multiple devices, different locations, the hard work an effort that needs to go into really applying a proper or enforcing that your business security policy onto the, onto the IT infrastructure and the network, uh, principle of least privilege, as, as we talked about earlier on, and how we're solving that with having one place for your uh, policy to live, your business policy to be enforced on the identity services engine, how we tag, using tagging to enforce that in a real time all the time, and then being able to very quickly spot when something bad's happening and using the changing of those tags for that to do that rapid threat containment is, is it sounds like we've pretty we'd like to say we've pretty much got it sorted in, in a this great solution, great for, solution yeah. for this as yeah. well. And, and and so if customers want to have a look at that, if you go to Cisco.com uh, forward slash go forward slash ISE, um, mm-hmm. I'm sure that's that'll yeah, get you all your search just, for network as an enforcer, you'll find uh, lots of lots of information about that as well. Yeah. There's a, there's a couple of interesting use cases I'd like to talk about, but but first, one thing that, that it's worth mentioning is that Cisco quite often get accused of being proprietary and you know coming up with proprietary technology that doesn't interoperate or, and other or work things. with other things with, okay, okay, yeah, with, yeah. with any, anything else. Um, I don't know whether or not you've got a view on this, Mark. Yeah, I, so so it's interesting because I think one man's sort of one man's innovation is another man's. Um, that's the word I was looking for. It's completely loss of loss of language. Yeah, and and I think this is always a challenge, and we saw it back in the early days of um, power of Ethernet, things like that. Yeah. All the pre-standards power. Anyhow, uh, one of the things that we have done is we've actually published. I think it's still an informational RFC into the IETF yep. to actually share some of the intellect intellectual property. Right. For those people who don't know, that is the standards body people. So we've actually yeah, the told Internet Engineering Task Force, the IETF. We, we've actually shared our information, correct. our intellectual property with them, to saying this is what we think the correct. next standard of the network look like, so we can be interoperable yes. and work with other vendors. Yeah. So like some that. aspects of this solution have been effectively put into the standards community to allow third-party vendors okay. to start to interoperate. So this doesn't then become a completely closed Cisco solu- Cisco-only Cisco solution. You know, there's there's no reason why third-party devices couldn't do some of the enforcement um, uh, actions that, that we talked about today. And, um, and, and there are examples in production yes. right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, for example, Checkpoint yeah. are able to, to, to read our tags and, and enforce based. policy oh, great. based on tags. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we have a, this, this, this is multi-vendor yeah. and, and ecosystem. And it, but the only thing it does go to show, and you mentioned about the PoE thing earlier yeah. on, um, 
and this as well is that you I mean Cisco is an innovation company. We mm-hmm. spend billions and billions of dollars on innovation. And we do invent things and we do acquire companies as well. So just a good example of where we created something, but then we do share it out with you. Don't keep it to ourselves. Awesome. Oh, you got oh, something I just, else? Yeah, just 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 one use case that that, that really really brings it to light. And um, I was I was talking to a uh, a customer recently in the construction sector, and they they they're, they're the main contractor on on large construction projects. And the nature of um, construction these days is it's never a, a single effort. There are uh, joint parties and subcontractors and a whole whole bunch of people who get involved in a single building project. And they were having massive challenges because now it's been a big drive towards digitization and, and computerization of records and drawings and all the rest of it. And they're having to, on, on any given project, and they're running you know, 15 or 20 projects concurrently, they basically have to set up a, a, a team or a task force around an individual project, and they have to open up bits of their network to allow subcontractors to come and view CAD drawings or mm. view their ERP system or, or other things. And, and the nature of each project is different. You'll have a different supply chain and a different group of subcontractors on each project. So every single day they're having to set up and tear down access control for all of these different parties and that was both people contractors working in their office it was people working on site it was people coming in across VPN and the IT team were just running around like headless chickens trying to sort out and revoke access the whole time for mm-hmm. for, for, for each construction project and, and we propose doing this now with 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 uh, network as an enforcer so now all they need to do when they when they start up a new product so they just tag their subcontractors you know however they join the network be it on site or in their offices or coming in over VPN the the, the subcontractor gets the same tag and then centrally policy defined they decide what that tag can access and it makes their life infinitely easier thank you Ollie well Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Thanks again, Ollie. Looking forward to seeing Pleasure. you both on, a, on, a, on a, another podcast in the future. So, again, if you've got any questions or any, want any more information on what we've talked about today, you can contact me on uh, via email or, via, uh, or Twitter. So email is uh, justin.woolen at cisco.com, two O's and one L, or uh, at Justin Woolen on Twitter. So uh, look forward to seeing you at the next podcast.